the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. From the streets of Melrose Park to the trading floor of the Merck, he's fought for every dollar he's ever earned. And now, with personal liberty and our system of capitalism under assault in America, he's here to seize back our rights from the government. With a cigar in one hand and a copy of the Declaration of Independence in the other, he's Sean Thompson. And this is The Sean Thompson Show. This looks like a top of me. Once again, to be joined in what has become our weekly installments with Dr. Jerome Corsi, because I feel his book is a game changer. It is. It reveals the exact issues we've been dealing with, the lies we've been told for 70 years, and it explains all of the falsehoods, all of the failures, all of the false predictions by the government and those who profit from these false predictions. The name of the book is Truth About Energy, Climate Change, Global Warming. His name is Dr. Jerome Corsi. He's written, how many books is it now, Doc? I have to count right now, but it's, it's getting close to 30. 30 books. And the one that hooked me was the one you wrote uh, two before this, where you exposed the documentation and the reality that the Nazis in Germany actually had a little trick of how to produce oil. What was the name of that book? Well, it was um, great, the, uh, great Oil Conspiracy was the name of That's that book. It. And, and that's uh, when that I read that, I said, I have, to, I have to talk to this guy. I have to get him on. And, and lo and behold, I reached out to you for that book, and you were underway and almost done with this book. And I think this is game-changing. I really do. I do, too, and thank you. So the reality is what I want to cover now, because we're at the end of it, I want to cover your last couple of chapters, the abiotic okay. oil. The abiotic oil, the idea that um, they have a solution in renewables, which we know is a very costly, very corrupted industry, and then what our results are. And the reason I want to get into this is as I was pulling into the studio in, in South Florida today, next door to me is a shot in a beer joint, a tavern, where a lot of uh, construction workers, a lot of bikers go. And, you know, it's funny. I have to jockey around for parking lot positions. So I've been in arguments with them and, and the rest of it. They see me coming in today, and they stop me because they know I do talk radio in Chicago. And they said, listen, we, we've listened to a few of your shows, and uh, we want you to tell the people that we are not rich people. We are working blue-collar, some cases very struggling just to be in the blue-collar. And we're getting destroyed by what is happening to this country, primarily the cost of energy. And, you know, it, the timing couldn't have been better. I, I actually said I'm here because I, a little early because I'm going to talk with Dr. Jerome Corsi. So they're all fans of the fight against this. But the reality is we need to get this information out because no one has to suffer. And what made us so rich is actually our accessibility, our creativity of the energy sector of our country. That's how important this is to me. It's interesting. Um, I was in New York City this week, and uh, some of those guys, you know, working, working guys have stopped me lately in the street and told me thank you for writing this book. 
And um, people I don't know just, just we're just walking by, and someone comes recognizes me, and um, that's been happening. So the book is getting out, it's getting recognized, it's getting read, being blocked by the mainstream media. But let's get right into the, and, and I don't consider myself all that famous or all that important. I really don't think of myself in those terms. So it's all. Well, you're not doing it for that. You're doing it for the no. knowledge. Yeah, I'm doing it to get the point across. I want people to understand the truth. That's why the book is called The Truth. So on abiotic oil, what intrigued me was when I really realized that uh, I've been thinking for a long time it was not possible for I, since I was a child. Quite frankly, I couldn't believe the oil came from dead material. Back then, they were saying it was dinosaurs. Now, they say it's any kind of organic material, bacteria, uh, plankton, anything they can find, dead plants uh, that end up bogged and you know get buried in these swampy areas. They'll think about any, just so it's organic. That the theory of oil today by the petrogeologists is oil is an organic product. Is why or so why carbon is in organic chemistry because there was a, a this idea that you know we're partly carbon and carbon had to be some kind of a life force chemical. Well, there's just chemicals. There's not life force chemicals. There's not living and dead chemicals. There's just chemicals, mm-hmm. uh, and the chemicals can form into structures which are conducive to life, but they're still just chemicals. Now, when I started thinking about it, and I can go into why I don't think things decompose into oil. That's another sidetrack, but I want to get to the rest of the equations. I realized that in the um, 1920s, and we studied World War II, I knew the Germans were producing synthetic fuel. So I began doing research, well, how'd they do that? And I realized that they had a group of chemists in the 1920s who began working on this problem, because Germany had a lot of coal, but it didn't have any oil. And between wars, they were saying, we better get some oil for you know tank fuel and diesel fuel and airplane fuel and gasoline. So the chemists went to work and figured out how do we synthesize uh, hydrocarbon fuels. And what they did was they came up with these equations. They call them, they're, they're named the Fischer-Tropsch equations. And that's, you know, they're spelled a little different, F-I-S-C-H-E-R and T-R-O-P-S-C-H. Those were the two central chemists who came up with these formulas. And basically what they realized was that if you took something that had carbon and something that had hydrogen and you put it together with a catalyst like iron in temperatures of great heat and great pressure, hydrocarbon chains were formed. And they... um, realized that they could do this in a laboratory and they could basically it was a complex process where they essentially go through a gas to liquid it's a um, it's a polymerization technique it was a little complicated in chemistry but it turns a carbon source into hydrocarbon chains through the hydrogenation of carbon monoxide by means of a metal catalyst. Chemically, that's what it does, Mm -hmm. which means you basically are uh, taking this liquefied gas under high pressure in the form, in the the presence of a metal catalyst like zinc, and you're getting uh, a carbon source 
hydrogen source to bind together in chains, which are hydrocarbon chains. And the books written on this, if you go back and get the original books, which I've done, show a whole series, what they call straight chain hydrocarbons, which are a series of, you know, for instance, um, methane is carbon, CH4. Well, the, in other words, they're all CH, all carbon and hydrogen, and the number of molecules and the number of atoms in these different molecules vary. So, the, But they're all straight chain. They're all just basically ordinary chemical bonds. Anybody knows anything about chemistry? And they're uh, not complicated, but you can produce a whole range of them uh, from depending on how you run the Fischer-Tropsch process. So the Germans were able to do this. Now, I looked at these equations. And I said, if the, those are the equations that are working, to, that's, the, that's how the Earth makes oil. And then I began examining the processes, what goes on in the mantle of the Earth, and I realized there were abundant sources of carbon, abundant sources of hydrogen, and the abundant sources of iron. Temperature and pressure were correct. So that validated to me that the Earth could be ma manufacturing hydrocarbon fuels in the mantle of the Earth. And then my theory was that they would be coming up through bedrock cracks and pooling in sedimentary rocks, where our genius petrogeologists thought the rocks, yeah. the sedimentary rock formed them. And, and so, if I can just, this explains why it's everywhere. And all you have everywhere. to do is drill for it. This explains yeah, it, it. It also explains how the Germans were able to recreate it. They merely had to get to the right temperature to recreate what happens in the center of the Earth. Yeah, and the right chemical processes. They had to get, you know, the catalyst to be active. They had the, it was complicated, and the Germans built a whole series of Fischer Tropsch plants. I mean, uh, Nazi Germany was running largely on they were running on what oil they could steal from, you know, the various oil fields in Romania and in Ukraine and other places they could get, but they were also making these Fischer-Tropsch plants, and we bombed them. I, I went to the archives, and I got not only the, uh, at the end of World War II, military intelligence in the United States went over and confiscated all the German science, and I found the microfilms with the Fischer-Tropsch processing on, uh, on the, the chemistry, and I found the microfilms of the bombing, the, the after World War II, we did a strategic bombing study, and I found the studies that were done on the bombing of the Fischer-Tropsch plants and realized that the Which is an admission analysis, by our military. Analysis, yeah, by our military. The analysis of the World War II is the, the, the bombing we did in German cities really did not stop the German war effort. They were making as many tanks, as many airplanes at the end of the war as at the beginning of the war, uh, Battle of the Bulge at the end of the war, the Germans had lots of tanks. They ran out of fuel because we bombed all their oil facilities, their Fischer-Tropsch plants, their chemical facilities, and that was the only bombing we did that had any strategic value. The Germans ran out of fuel. They they broke through our lines. The Battle of the Bulge, I wrote a book on the Battle of Bastogne, which was involved in that, and they ran out of oil. They couldn't get to Antwerp, which is where they were headed, to block one of the major supply ports of the U.S. military at that point of the troops fighting in Europe. That was what they were after in the Battle of the Bulge. They didn't get there. They ran out of fuel. While you're talking, what's so annoying is that the process, the discovery, has been here for 80 years. 
80 years. And yet our government, along with um, collusion and, and corruption and big oil, have kept the truth from the, not just the American people, but from the world for that matter. And really have a lot to lose should this information go out, should a private company recreate this process. I'm wondering well, if we're going to make you, you're going to inspire a couple of entrepreneurs to, to, to recreate the process and manufacture abiotic oil. That would shut them up. Well, in fact, Sean, at the end of World War II in the 50s, 1950s, we created some Fisher-Cross processing plants in the United States. We made synthetic oil. It was just too expensive. It cost more when you could get all the oil you wanted pretty cheaply out of the earth. And right now, the biggest Fisher-Cross plant working in the world is in China. China's making a ton <laughs> of synthetic oil. Oh, of course they are. Yeah, because... China is buying coal everywhere they can. They're burning hydrocarbons like mad. They don't care. They're not going to be so stupid as to shut down hydrocarbon plants and the people freeze and not be able to feed them in the winter. As we, as our politicians weaken our country, their politicians strengthen theirs, it isn't going to be long, and I'm going to be doing that silly goose step they march around with. I don't like it. Well, I don't like it either. That's why I wrote this book. I want to tell people all the lies they've been told. And they've been told it on purpose, because these Malthusians who want control want to eliminate half or three-quarters of the people on the earth, and like Bill Gates and Klaus Schwab and the World Economic Forum. They think there's too many people. They want the resources which they think are scarce of the earth for themselves. To, that Bill Gates thinks there's too many people. He never thinks he's too many. but to eliminate you and me. Doctor, I used to think this was craziness. Honestly, what you're saying, I used to say to myself, this is crazy, craziness. Now, since I've started doing the show, I have to digest a tremendous amount of research. I have an article that is less than a week old that talks about the amount of land Bill Gates has purchased. It is staggering the hundreds of thousands of acres this man owns. He doesn't want to farm it, doesn't want to populate it. He simply wants to hold it. And at a certain point, you have to listen to the words of the World Economic Forum, which isn't really about advancing wealth among the common people. It's about controlling it uh, uh, amongst the well-connected people. This is kind of what we're up against, and it's exactly the explanation that you're fighting the lies you're exposing because the key component is energy. They have to have that. Without that, they have nothing. And without that, the, the, the guys next door to me right now that are struggling to make ends meet, that are working 12 hours a day, they will have to always turn to their oligarchs, to their overlords. If we could only get an honest group of businessmen to produce this abiotic oil and show the world, I think that could solve a lot of problems. I know it was expensive in the 50s, but given today's oil, is it, is it still equally as expensive or is it cost positive? It's still, uh, it's still pretty expensive because we have now, I, I quote Julian Simon in this a very brilliant economist who studied natural resources, and he said that basically what he said was true. He said, first of all, there was far more oil than anybody ever expected there would be, and far more coal. coal. Second, with the technology developments, we're going to be able to get oil that before was economically not feasible to get. Today it is. So we can get now today deep earth and deep ocean. We're get you know you get to go down ten thousand meters through water 
and then start drilling, well, you go very deep into the earth and find a lot of oil off the continental shelves. Sure. I'm confident you could find oil in the middle of the oceans. But the point is the we know it's deep down there. Now we've got the technology to go get it. And then Julian Simon said, well, you'll have technological developments where you'll never use all there was because you'll be moving on to other technology developments. And uh, we transitioned somewhat into the, uh, why these renewable fuels don't work. And by the way, oil is a renewable fuel. These others, you know, why they call wind turbine energy and solar energy green. There's nothing green about solar energy or wind. They, this is a propaganda that's a term to make green sounds good, green's environmental. Yeah. So these, and oil's dirty. Uh, the, the whole environmental movement today transitioned into a anti-capitalist, get, let's get rid of Marxist movement to get neo-Marxist, get rid of capitalism. Because they demonize hydro carbon fuels, that's what they want to get rid of, and if they can demonize carbon dioxide as a warming agent, make, you know, Daddy, you're ruining my life, I won't have a future because the earth is going to be so warm, and you're, it's because you're so stupid, you're putting gasoline in your car. Yeah. Well, you know, I mean, that's, that's, that's political, ideological, mind, you know, it's mind bed, it's, it's, you know, basically brainwashing. Because, I thought they called it green because there's so much money laundering from governments to a, a hands. So well, that's Obama and Solyndra. Yeah, we're doing, I've got. I just wrote an article about that too. It's another. You know, spend all this money in this worthless technologies. Eighty uh, percent of the billions Obama put in Solyndra in his 2009 Recovery Act, all the green energy, and people forget that this has already been tried and failed. Eighty percent of it went to um, his top funders on his finance committee for his 2008 presidential campaign. These ventures went bankrupt. The money's gone, and nobody went to prison. And, and, they're, and they're going to do it again and just add more commas and zeros. That's exactly what's happening. You know, the saddest part is that the rest of the world had Americans putting up the fight against this eco-Nazism. Now, unfortunately, who's putting up a fight? Ironically enough, are the Chinese government who refuses to listen to the nonsense and because the government controls the economy, they're just going to go ahead and produce whatever we don't. This is a, a path to losing. I don't know how you win out of this. You don't win on this, and it was never intended that we win on this. Yeah. The point I'm going to make is if you had a battery the size of a flashlight battery, solar or wind, that could light up a major met metropolitan area, wouldn't need government subsidies. Private industry would produce that in a minute, and we'd all use it. Uh, and what Julian Simon said is you may be using fission batteries. You know, U.S. Navy's powered on atomic power. Yeah. We may be using fission batteries in our car long before we ever run out of oil. And as I'm maintaining, hydrocarbon fuels are a natural product of the Earth. The Earth does not produce anything that can't be used intelligently and to be productive. Everything on this earth works and uh, is not designed to destroy the earth by its use. Uh, you can always misuse anything. You know, you, you can misuse anything at all, but it, sure. that doesn't mean it's inherently detrimental to earth. And you can burn hydrocarbon fuels very cleanly. We much more cleanly burn hydrocarbons today than we did in the 1950s when Gasoline in cars was causing smog in cities like L.A. and London. And um, 
And in fact, doesn't. aren't so, so many of the renewables, particularly the, the end product of the renewables, the fiberglass and the windmills, the, the, the chemicals and the solar, these are far more detrimental to anything than... Right, well, mining the material for the batteries in terms of lithium is very, very uh, polluting of the environment. And we ignore that. Most of the energy that charges the batteries is made from hydrocarbon fuels. Hydrocarbon fuels, I devote chapters of the book showing that the end of the book, as you're talking about, if you look at the energy, how energy works, the, you know, the joules, the, the measurement of energy, um, J-O-U-L-E, the, the measurement of the, the statistical governmental, not governmental, but the scientific measurement of what energy is, mm -hmm. uh, is higher in hydrocarbon forms for fuels because you combust them. A lot of energy is released when they're combusted. Right. But in wind and solar, you're producing electrical energy that has to be stored. Well, first of all, there is a loss of energy in the storage. That's a loss of energy. And you you can't use it all immediately because you have to store as the wind doesn't blow all the time, the sun it doesn't shine all the time. You have to store this energy. And when it is used, the electrical, the nature of the energy in terms of its energy uh, power is much less than hydrocarbon fuels because of all the steps you've got to go through to, to preserve it, to save it, to <laughs> put it in batteries, uh, to to finally use it, to incorporate it into hydrocarbon systems. It causes blackouts, brownouts. Uh, it doesn't work very well. And it is basically a boondoggle scheme. I mean, you know, people get electric cars. Oh, we're saving the environment. We've got an electric car. Okay. Where does the electricity to power the car come from? Well, it comes from hydrocarbon fuels. Okay. Or largely. And uh, say, okay, we want to plug it in to charge it. How long does it take? Maybe four hours for a complete recharge. Okay, how far can I go on a complete 230 miles? So if I'm an interstate, I've either got to stop all the time and do a partial charge up so I don't take four hours, or i got to wait until the person in front of me is finished, and, the, and there are not enough charging stations. So you know, people are waiting three, four hours to get their cars recharged. While reading no. your while reading your book too, you touched upon right. something early on that that is now coming out. The sheer weight of the uh -huh. batteries—it's outrageous. These cars, in some cases, weigh twice as much, and now they uh, uh, the damage that they're going to do to the so-called infrastructure of the roads. Not to mention when they have accidents with lighter cars, the death and the mayhem. None of this was thought about, but more importantly, the fires. I have been doing my own research. The fires in California on Teslas that are parked, the fires in electronic buses from India to California and all around, this is something that people are kind of just ignoring. And I'm wondering how long they can keep a lid on it because this is a side problem that nobody wants to talk about. The weight well, and then the fires. How do you dispose of the junk? What do you do with a lithium battery when it's no good anymore? It, now you've got a very they, pollutant ridden. They're going to throw it in the ocean, like California. Then they'll they'll write a ticket and they'll hire an entire bureaucracy to clean it up. I mean, it is just a scam that keeps. What do you do with the solar panels when they're outdated? They don't work anymore. These photovoltaic panels. What are you going to do with them? You know, I mean, these are the at least with hydrocarbon fuels, you burn it; it's gone. 
You know, the device is, you need a gas pump. You need, you know, a truck to bring it there. You need a refinery. Now, people don't like refineries, but again, we do very well with very few refineries. If we had more refineries, we could get cheaper fuel into the system than we have it today. And it's still abundant. You know, if I show you the uh, fractures under the oil fields in Saudi Arabia, how the bedrock fractures mirror where the oil fields are. I, in the, you know, in 2000, after I wrote, 2005, after I wrote Black Gold Stranglehold, I fought with the peak oil, oil guys. Only so many dinosaurs were going to run out of fuel. Never it's, happened. It's actually so ridiculous, I can't believe people even ever believed it. It's preposterous. The dino soup, it's preposterous. The predictions of wrong of 70 years. This is something when I start a radio segment and we talk about any of the global warming predictions, whether they be from the, the Al Gore who likes portly women or not. It is preposterous how wrong they've been, yet there are no consequences except what I'm seeing in Germany. Right now in Germany, they are admitting they are wrong. They are going back to coal. They are going back to natural gas. I mean, isn't that, is that what we're going to have to wait for, just the ultimate collapse here in America to where finally people say, I think they were wrong when everybody understands it? Well, the, the plan here is that the neo-Marxists are going to be in such control. Look, at neo-Marxists right now control Department of Justice, courts, uh, the the Congress, the House of Representatives, are close to controlling the Senate. They penetrated the Republican Party. They've captured the churches with liberation theology. They dominate the media. Uh, they penetrated all the institutions. Now, the last group that really succeeded in doing that was the Nazis, and then, of course, the Maoists and uh, the Stalinists. But when Hitler took power in 1933, he, he, he gained par power marginally. But by, you know, a couple of years, the Nazis had control of everything. Now, if you opposed Hitler's ideology at that point, you know, you were done. There's no way out. And no one was coming to your aid, not the churches, not the courts. And this is what happened. You know, the Jews who had not believed Hitler was going to do what he said in Mein Kampf waited too long. The ones who waited too long didn't make out. They didn't get out. And I, uh, I'm a history this of this. I, I, I love this. I've been human reading about tragedy. This. Yeah, we, we, we. This is one of the greatest human tragedies, human disasters, nightmarish, evil things ever done. The Holocaust takes six million people and exterminate them, and say that all of our problems were caused by these Jews. I mean, it's such insanity. But yet again. It's the same kind of hysteria that we've got to stop using hydrocarbon fuels, which is economic suicide, on the idea that we're going to destroy the planet by burning hydrocarbon fuels to release carbon dioxide when it's a trace element in the atmosphere. It's so small, its impact as a, as a greenhouse gas it can be barely measured. It doesn't drive temperature. We had far more carbon dioxide in the atmosphere when we had repeated ice age after ice age. The temperature on the Earth, the major driver is the sun. And when we're farther away from the sun, in these elliptical orbits, the Milankovitch cycles, orbit, orbits that are more egg-shaped, farthest away, every 100,000 years, we get an ice age. When the sun's inactive, we get a cold period, like a little cold, mini-cold age, the little ice age. 
The sun drives the temperature of the earth, not carbon dioxide. Carbon dioxide is a detail. And greenhouse gases are not evil. They're the blanket of the earth. The atmosphere prevents too many infrared rays from getting in from the sun to burn up the earth, and it keeps enough infrared rays when the earth is emitting infrared rays at night from getting out, so it kind of, it's like a, a blanket. When you're in bed, the blanket keeps you warm, and it keeps the cold out. You know, so these are the kinds of issues that we need to understand. The greenhouse gases are not evil, and yeah. the most powerful greenhouse gas is water vapor. And they're not talking about getting rid of water vapor. They leave it on Far the sidelines. They leave it on the sidelines so they could steal from the data when they need to punish the, the, the people. And, you know, as you were talking, when you were talking about Hitler, I wonder how many people realize how he first started to demonize the Jewish people was because he called them capitalists. He called them individualists. And he started with the same kind of collectivist, fear-mongering speech. And he even had an environmental movement. I wonder how many Americans even know that. It's as um, we're walking down a dangerous path. And the only difference is this time it's a feeble guy who's clearly wet his pants. I can't believe America's in this predicament. But I also realize that uh, we have something Germany didn't have. We have an author who wrote a book called The Truth. This is something Germany never had. They would have burned your book. And uh, they're going to clearly put your book on ice. Are you seeing resistance now? Yes. I mean, I'm not going to get in television. Even Fox will ban this book because, again, this neo-Marxist political correct agenda dominates. And so, therefore, they, um, they want to say that the science is settled. We don't need these climate deniers. They, these people cannot tolerate dissent. They cannot tolerate the First Amendment. Obviously, after the raid they did in Donald Trump, they can't tolerate the Fourth Amendment. They can't tolerate God. They want God out of the schools. They want God out of everything. These people are atheistic, neo-Marxist, and they only know how to destroy. And they teamed up with the Malthusians like Paul Ehrlich. They decided the best way to destroy capitalism was to demonize hydrocarbon fuels, say the carbon dioxide was going to make us all so warm we burned up. And their formulas are nonsense. They're statistically manipulated. They inflate the importance of carbon dioxide as a greenhouse gas. The greenhouse gas concept may be valid, but not the emphasis they place on carbon dioxide. The Earth's system of temperature is not a linear system. You can't say so much carbon dioxide is, is going to mean so much increase in temperatures because there's too many other compensating factors. It may be, it may not be. But the point is that these predictions that if you don't decarbonize by 2050, we're all going to die are just laughable nonsense. And what I love that you do in this book is that you hoist the neo-Marxist by his own petard. You remind the reader that the earth is billions of years old. The data they're using is skewed, corrupted, and only a hundred years old. It's preposterous and ridiculous. And I also like that you continue to mention abiotic oil, which up until very recently, and even now, is taboo among the swindlers because right now this country this this entire world is under a lie that needs to be broken and only when it's broken and through the knowledge that's in this book can the ordinary man truly have a path to succeed because in the meantime the oligarchs are using misinformation government-sponsored censorship to control the most important sector of humanity energy and it's time we break it apart i love the book a thousand footnotes um 
the book is still on Amazon. The sales are through the roof, even even with the censorship. Isn't that not true? The book is doing extremely well with the censorship. It's amazing how well it's doing. And uh, shows like yours are helping tremendously because people are listening. And word of mouth, mouth is passing the word on this book. It's like I had that little yellow sticker. This is a dangerous book for the left. A warning. You know, read this book at your own risk. This this definitive refutation of climate change hoax theories cannot be ignored, regardless of how badly the left will want to do so. Uh, go on to Amazon and read what the physicists, very prominent physicists, emeritus from Harvard, Princeton, top PhD meteorologists, read how they praise the science in this book. I love it. And, and, uh, and, and you know, you, you realize how, um, how difficult that is in this climate when so many pseudoscientists are willing to sell their opinion to the government bidder for fear and for profit. So I love the fact that there are scientists that love this. I love the fact that people are going to learn just how many thousands upon thousands of scientists, Americans, and human beings are on to the swindle. And the way that you beat the lie is with the truth. The name of the book is The Truth About Energy, Global Warming, and Climate Change. He is my friend, Dr. Jerome Corsi. I have had a wonderful time doing this. So I'm going to ask you to pick a call, a number from 1 to 10, and whoever calls after this segment, I'm going to give him one of your free books. What number are you like? Seven. Seven is the winner. All right, Doc. You keep it up. And remember, I know you're upset about TV, but until the FBI kicks your door in and starts planning evidence, you're still having a better day than Trump. Well, yeah, you're right about that. And <laughs> Thank you so I much. I beat them once. I don't think they'll bother me again. No, I'm proud to know you. And I'm, I, I, moreover, I'm appreciative for my grandkids I haven't met for the effort you're putting to fight off the Marxist lies here in America. I do not want them to grow up in a USSA. So I think this is a fight for USA, and I appreciate everything you do, Doc. Well, God bless you, Sean. I really appreciate and enjoy shows like yours. I'll come back anytime you ask. Oh, you'll be back. Thank you very much. Thank you very much. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.